I'm going to bring you a message that uh, is, I just slapped a title on it, uh, Unshakable. And this is an easy message to preach. This is not hard. We're going back in time about uh, 2,500 years to be able to get into Haggai chapter number two. Um, but quite frankly, this is not a stretch at all. I'm preaching to me tonight. Every now and then a preacher will get really selfish and he'll just say, I need a word from the Lord. And he'll go find a word and he'll preach it to himself. And he gets ministered by it, and he thinks, I'm going to preach it to other people and see if it helps them. And so I believe tonight you're going to get some help. And uh, there's so many different uh, realities moving. I, I can be, I, I'll just be transparent with you here for a moment. Last week was terrible. It was just a terrible, terrible week. But on the backside of it, really around Monday afternoon, probably around 1 o'clock, I just started sensing the presence and the, and the joy of the Lord and a, a level of, of hope and, and just spiritual cleanness and intensity and, pardon me, the Lord's intentionality towards, primarily I was thinking of our, our faith family here at Newbridge and just how good God is and how I see Jesus working in so many of your lives and just listening to your words and um, as, as we've gone through and are still somewhat in a little bit of a crucible right now with some some disappointments and some heartbreak and some, some tough things we've had to walk through in the last week, but just watching your strength and, and hearing from so many of you and, and, and just this honest confession of, yeah, I actually don't feel personally strong, but you, so many of you are testifying, but I sense the strength of the Lord carrying me. And then beyond what's going on um, in the last week here at our, our, our church, um, some of you with just real broken hearts. I, I, I see this dear sister, Miss Carol Robertson, and her boys here, and having buried a husband and a dad in the last month, and, and the heartbreak that that hit our church with. And then others of you battling illnesses. And, and listen, I don't want to burst the bubble, but I don't want to blow it up any further either. Life can be war. And the idea that somehow slipped into Christianity, into the church, that um, we've got this well-polished, slick machine that kind of greases its way through life and never experiences thorns and daggers and potholes and, and valleys and canyons. That's just crazy. And so I think the, 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 the reality is we need to confess it, we need to expect it, but we shouldn't expect to remain perpetually in, in dark places. Because the Lord allows us to get, to get into those things. I mean, even Jesus wasn't spared from agony and pain and sorrow. He allows us to get in there because there's something in the infinite heart of God that wants us to know how, how he delights in rescue and how strong he is and how capable he is and how the deepest uh, darkness is no match for one just moment of his sovereign light and power coming towards us. And I think we can read those words in the scripture, but it's not real to us until we actually feel the darkness encroaching upon us. And then we get to experience the deliverance. And, and the Lord is intensely working in your life. Those of you that have committing your, committed your lives to him, he, he's working to make your confidence in him as strong as his promises are to you. He wants there to be a balance. He wants you to trust in him to the same degree that his promises are solid in your life. And so that means pretty much all the time we have some room to grow. As we go back 2,500 years into the life of Israel, they're coming out of, just freshly coming out of 
um, about 70 years of bottoming out. They've been in captivity. They've been released back to their homeland, but when they get back to their homeland over a couple of generations, they, they find it ripped apart. The glory of Israel is gone. The splendor of Israel is gone. The joy in Israel is gone. And what you have is um, you have a remnant coming back to reestablish the land. But the whole context of their existence when you're in Haggai chapter 2 is pretty much a context of loss. And so I want to find out and I want to instruct myself, what does God do when we're going through a season where we're losing, where we've been hit hard, or where we've had something wrenched away from us? What, what does God expect of us? And as always, when, when we study the scriptures, we find that not only do we find comfort and encouragement, that's good for the heart, but frankly, I can't live on emotion. I, I can't live on just feeling better. I, I need instruction. I need God to tell me what to do. Lord, thank you for being my comforter, but now I need you to be my guide and my master teacher. And so tonight is probably less comfort and more instruction, but I think if we'll obey the instruction, we'll go deeper into the comfort. So Haggai chapter 2, verse number 1. Um, in the seventh month, seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give Peace, declares the Lord of hosts. One of the reasons why I love Haggai chapter 2 is because God doesn't play around with his people. I, I, I just, folks, listen, there's just some times where we need to just welcome the reality that, that God is a father and although we love his tenderness and we love his sweetness and we love his gentleness and we were immersed in that for 45 minutes here tonight, I love that. I want that. But I never want to leave a worship setting with an idea of an effeminate God, that God is, a, is, is powerful and strong and straightforward. And that doesn't invalidate the fact that he's merciful and compassionate and tender and understanding and kind. That is good too. That's part of his nature. But in this passage of Scripture, he's looking at a group of people who, as a nation, had been in captivity for 70 years because of their sin. 
because they failed because of their folly. And then as they came back to the land, um, maybe 17 years, 18 years prior, they, they had moved in in a momentum. They were released. They were free. They were going to reestablish the temple. And they laid the foundation. And then difficulty started hitting them hard. And so by the time we get to Haggai chapter 2, God has already said in chapter 1, he's basically said this, <clears throat> Hey, I told you to build the temple. And for 18 years, you've just left it there on the foundation. And you've been building your own lives but you are not making the primary things of utmost importance. He's saying, I want you to consider your ways, and I want you to do the first works. And so he's dispatching them and exhorting them and challenging them and even commanding them, hey, you need to get your life in order. You, you need to do what is expected of you. And the people are discouraged, and they've been battled in the land, and they've got people that don't want them to rebuild the temple. And so they're setting their hearts for God's glory, and yet they're being fought tooth and nail as they seek to be faithful. And now they're in a season where, where the fight just got too hard, and they've pulled back, and they've stopped, and they've kind of drooped in their faith. And so God is extending firm, loving leadership for them, but he's not playing around, and he's going to tell them what to do. And sometimes when we get in a place in life where it's gotten hard, it's gotten painful, the sacrifices are deep and the rewards are few, and we're, we're in that place where we can be weary and exhausted and troubled or even afraid, and I know I've been there before. I wish I was super pastor or super Christian. I'm not. I'm made of the same stuff you are, and I've gotten in places where I'm just like, it's just too much. Even the Apostle Paul once asked, who is sufficient for these things? And sometimes we have to recognize what we can hit a, a very close to rock bottom, and God's going to meet us there. But when he meets us there, it's not just to pat us on the head. He's going to say, okay, I've comforted you. Now let's get back to what I'm doing. And so that's what I want to give you tonight in the next 30 minutes. So I hope you can listen quickly because I'm going to have to talk pretty fast. So very simple outline tonight. Four major points, no sub points. Let's start in verses 1 and 2. The first thing that God does is he calls people to attention. He gets their attention. Look at there in verse number 1. Uh, it's around October, middle of October, 2,500 years ago, and the word of the Lord comes by Haggai the prophet. And here's what God says. This is what he's saying through the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. And then he says, speak also to Joshua. So, and then speak to all the remnant. So the Lord begins to speak again through Joshua, mid-October, around 2,500 years ago, 500 years before Jesus walks the earth. And the Lord says, okay, I, gotta get, I got another message for you, Haggai. I want you to go to the political leader. There's a guy with a funny name, Zerubbabel. And I want you to go to the priestly leader, a little normalized name, the name Joshua. So Zerubbabel, the consummate politician, a godly man, and then you've got Joshua, the, the priestly leader. And I want you to go to both of them as the leaders of Israel. And then Joshua, I mean, uh, Haggai, while you're at it, I want you to give a word to all the people. And so the Lord is saying, I've got a specific message for the leaders, but I've got a binding message for everybody. And so God is saying, I want your attention. Now, friends, this is something you and I have to regularly uh, remain aware about. That the Lord is constantly communicating. He never runs out of things to say. 
Now, we've all gone through spells where we, we don't hear him, and I've trained myself that if I go through a week or a month or, or longer where I'm not getting a fresh word and I'm not acutely aware that I'm hearing God's voice, I've trained myself to recognize that if he's not speaking freshly to me right now, it's probably because he wants me to remember something he's already said. And so I usually walk it backwards. What am I not obeying? What am I not walking in? What am I not stepping out in that he's already said? But then those moments where clarity comes upon you, where God says, I'm not going to even leave any doubt. I'm talking to you. And I don't know if we're leaving room for that in our lives these days, but I want to tell you something. If you are saved, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord, if your sins have been removed and therefore you've been brought into a, a proper relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus, not through your own merit, not through your religion, not through your works, not through your success, but simply coming as a humble, broken sinner, recognizing his or her need for Jesus, and you have said, I repent of sin, I choose you, Lord, I believe in you. And in that moment, an amazing transaction takes place. Your sin is removed off of you. And the, the record of Jesus, the holy, perfect, righteous record of Jesus is given to you by grace. So when the Father looks at you, you are justified. You are free. You are saved. You are His. When that happens, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And so therefore, you have the ability to hear the Lord. You can hear God, and God will speak objectively to you through his word. But even in the, in the context of what is true in the word, he will also speak personally to you. You can hear his voice. So when we go in, going back to Haggai chapter 2, the Lord is saying, I want your attention. I want you to listen to me because I have something very important to say. So let's move into what he actually had to say. Look at verse number 3. As he's building unshakable faith in these people, God addresses the loss. I love this about the Lord. He's not, he's, he's not religious. God is not religious. God does not do church. God does not play little sweet little southern uh, Bible Belt games. He's not a conservative right-wing evangelical. He, he is God, the creator, and look what he does. He comes in and he, he lets awkwardness follow him into the room. He says, Haggai, I want you to ask the people a question. Ask Joshua, ask uh, Zerubbabel, and then ask all the people. What is the question? Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And then he says, how do you see it now? And then a third question, is it as nothing in your eyes? Let me give you background. Solomon's temple was glorious. It was huge. It was beautiful. It was brilliant. And then it got burned. The, the, the enemy comes in, destroys the city, burns the temple, takes away glory. It was Ichabod over Jerusalem. The, the glory of the Lord had departed. And then they were carried away captivity for many decades. And so when they came back to the land, it was a wasteland. It would have been in a context every day waking up and you see what would have been or what used to be. Some of these people that were in their 70s and 80s were children. They were children and they would have actually seen the temple. Now they're old people, but they would have remembered, oh, the glory of Solomon's temple, the glory of Israel, the glory of God. And now they're looking at a foundation of a new temple with nothing built on it. Weeds growing up around it. And it speaks of incompleteness, and it speaks of loss, and it's a daily reminder that life isn't what it used to be. And so God goes there. He says, hey, how many of you in this remnant that has now returned, there aren't many of you, but which among all the people can remember how it used to be? 
He takes them intentionally back to how it used to be. He doesn't, he's not being cruel, he's being open, he's being honest, he's being provocative with their hearts. And then he asks the hard question, he says, how do you see it now? For me, that was the question in this entire passage that I'm sharing tonight that captured me. In a context of loss, in a context of pain, in a context of things not being as they should be or as they used to be, and when you recognize that hardship has found you, that, that you've had to relinquish some things that you weren't ready to relinquish or you've been given some things that you never asked for, how do you view it now? What's your attitude now? What's your mindset now? Because the Lord is going, I mean, he's about to go directly to an issue in the national life of Israel. He is literally, he is putting the x-ray on their soul as a nation. And he's saying to them, I know what your heart is all about, but I want you to acknowledge what your heart is all about. He wants them to acknowledge that they are not exactly exuberant in faith. Now, I'm not judging them. The fact of the matter is, it had been 17, 18 years since they quit doing the last thing God told them to do, which was what? Rebuild the temple. And they just quit doing that. It's because they got discouraged. They got defeated. They got sidetracked. Their context for living was doing the right thing ongoingly is too hard. We'll just do something different. And so in chapter number one, they were being challenged about how they were living their own lives and leaving off the purposes of God. And so God says, this new temple that's not even done yet, he said, compared to the old one, by by the way, by the time you get to chapter two, it's complete. It's done. And they're looking at it. And it had, in chapter one, he chastised them for not doing it. They got it done. But the, the end result was they're looking at this new temple and they're thinking, this is nothing like Solomon's temple. It's smaller. It's less ornate. It's not as bejeweled. It's not decked in gold. And it's not as beautiful. And so there was weeping and there was howling. Some were rejoicing, but the ones that remembered how it used to be were brokenhearted. And so God says, you're struggling with this thing. Well, I've got a point. I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me. Go down into verses 4 and 5. In the midst of all of this, God clarifies his expectation. This is his word for you tonight. This is his word for me. He's talking to Israel, ancient Israel, but he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He says, yet now be strong. He says that to Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. And Joshua, be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And look at this. Work. Work. And here comes a promise. For I'm with you. For I'm with you. For I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, When you came out of Egypt, and I love this, my spirit remains in your midst. Stop being afraid. So let's parse this a little bit. Let's break this down. Let's just just go where God goes with this thing. The Lord is exposing the reality that our hearts get fickle, our hearts can become afraid, our hearts can become discouraged, and when that happens, your life follows your heart. The Bible teaches that 
whatever's going on in your heart, that's, that's really going to contextualize your life. How, how you think, how you feel, that, that really becomes like a, a, an engine. And your life ends up becoming a caboose if you're not careful. And so the Lord is teaching them here, you're living in the context of loss. It's not as good as it used to be. It's not the same that it used to be. You're occupying yourself with other things because you don't want to address the real thing, the temple. And then when the temple is done, you're struggling with the fact that it's not as good as it used to be. And so he's dealing with them in that. And so what happens when, you, when, you, when your season of loss, your season of discouragement, your season of sickness, your, your season of confusion, your season of, I didn't think it was going to be this way, gets longer and longer. What happens? I'm going to tell you what can happen. It doesn't have to, but what it can. We can start kind of doing some, some bad math. We can start saying, I feel bad, so life is bad. And life is bad, and we, we don't ever say it out loud because we, we, we're very religious people, and religious people don't say stuff like this. But secretly, sometimes in Christians' hearts, they say, life is bad, and they, they'll just whisper it to themselves, and, and they'll say, God's let me down. This wasn't what I deserved. This wasn't what I wanted. This wasn't what I asked for. And I don't think he's with me anymore. And you can go through seasons where you don't sense his love. You can enter into doubt. You can enter into guilt. The accuser comes in. I mean, it gets really like a rat's nest real quick. So you're feeling bad inside. The enemy capitalizes on that because that's all he does is he has no mercy. You know, we care for our wounded. He kills wounded. He looks for the wounded and the isolated and the weak and the discouraged, and he pounces. And so when that happens, our minds can start, we start entering into weakness, spiritual weakness, emotional weakness, relational weakness, physical weakness, and it just layers and layers. And so when God sees his children go through a season like that, this is an occasion where he does not employ the sweet, tender, sympathetic, merciful lullaby. He comes in, and I can just see him just kind of in a, in a decisive manner saying, Haggai, come here. You're the prophet right now. You and Zechariah, I've got some preaching y'all are going to do, but right now, Haggai, here's your assignment. I want you to go get the political leader and the priestly leader. They're going to be the human leaders. I want you to preach to them, and then I want to make sure all of the people get this. Here's my message. I want you all to be strong. Now, doesn't that seem absurd? God's telling you to be strong when you're weak. God's commanding you to be something other than you feel. God is is calling you to orient your mind in the exact opposite direction that you've been orienting it. And yet he's commanding it, and in the command is the grace to obey the command. And so when he's commanding it, he says it three times, and it's very clear. Joshua, be strong. Zerubbabel, be strong. And all of you out there, I want you to be strong. And here's the reason why you can be, because I'm still with you. I haven't gone anywhere. I know the landscape looks bleak in Jerusalem. I know you're discouraged, but God is literally saying, y'all may not have noticed, but I'm still here. I'm still for you. I made a covenant with your ancestors that I have not broken, I am not breaking, and I will not break. The covenant that I made with them says that I will not depart or abandon you. He had let them get chastised. He had let them experience the fruit of their own unrighteous sowing. 
But that's never to equate into this orphan spirit that says, because it is tough, because it is lost, it is because God has left me. It's interesting to me that he gives five commands. Three times, be strong. And then he says one time, work. (laughs) I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I get into a bad place, I don't feel like doing anything. I don't want to work. I don't want to put my hand to something. I, you know, you lose your vision. You, and these seasons don't last long for me, but a day like that is a bad moment for me. I don't, I don't even want to be like that for a day. And look at God. God doesn't say, you know what, just take, take a six-month sabbatical. Just, you know what, get you a good book. Just get you a good book and, you know, some sweet tea and just spend, spend as much time you can on the beach and just chill. It's okay. He, he speaks with authority and says, enough of this. Start doing what you know you can do. Start doing the last thing I told you to do. He's talking, by the way, in the context, says, start working on the temple. Or excuse me, no, he's already said that, and he's telling them now to encourage themselves. He says, I want you to start living again. He says, this is one of my commands. The only other commands he gives, be strong, be strong, be strong, work, and quit being afraid. And you know what? That one was kind of the anchor. That was what was holding them back because they were fearful. They had learned how to live in fear. They had learned how to live defeated. They forgot who they were. They forgot their victory. They forgot in the overcoming power of Yahweh God. They forgot about the God who split the Red Sea, who parted the Jordan River, who defeated all the kings of Canaan as they went in to conquer the Promised Land, who repeatedly showed himself miraculous and strong through the reign of David and through the reign of Solomon. And listen, it wasn't the fact that God lost his strength. It's that Israel in their rebellion moved away from that strength. That's why they ended up in captivity, not because anything changed with God, but because their hearts changed towards God. And so now they're afraid. They're walking on eggshells with the Almighty. One wrong move and we might be back to Babylon. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I made a covenant with you. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. But you're going to have to start living your life again. And I don't want you to be afraid. So he gave five commands and then he gave two promises. And it's very, very simple. I am with you and my my spirit remains in your midst. Let's just go there as a church. Um, can, can I just say this? I hope I'm not misunderstood by this. Do you know how I am not worried about our future as a church? I am so not worried. I am probably more uh, enthusiastic and encouraged and intentional because what's transpired over the last short amount of time is only an indicator to me that Satan himself is worried about what's going on through this assembly. He has come strong against this body not because of us, us doing something wrong, but because we're doing something right. And so now that we have obeyed the, the word of God and we've done it God's way and we've dealt with the sin in the camp, what we should expect is momentum and flowing and revival and an outbreak. Think about this, friends. For, for, for whatever amount of time when there was sin in the camp, that inhibits the power of God. You say, Jeff, God's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. Well, let me just tell you, when when Israel went up to win a battle they should have won, there was sin in the camp, and they lost that battle. God was still sovereign, but he didn't grant them the victory because they needed to deal with the sin. And when they dealt with the sin, they started winning the victories again. And so, friends, what I expect is actually an increase 
in the presence and the power of God and victory. But it's not going to come, listen to me, because I'm wanting to clap and shout too. I'm, I'm actually encouraging myself. But it's not going to come if we're sitting around discouraged, if we're spiritually moping, and we're unwilling to do the work. This is a good season for us to be fasting and praying and recommitting not shrinking back, not pulling away, just to know this. God's saying to Newbridge and to the body of Christ in general, my spirit remains in the midst of you. Israel had already experienced their Ichabod 70 years before, but God's saying, hey, um, I didn't abandon you. I just left you to your own fruit for a while. But that time came to an end, and he says, I am with you. I want to encourage those of you that may be going through whatever element of discouragement that has found you. Um, He can't abandon you, Christian. He can't. One of the number one accusations of the devil is this. God's not listening to you. God doesn't love you. God will never help you. I mean, he is a liar. And he assaults the fatherhood of God and in the same kind of double point, a double-edged sword as he is cutting away at your confidence at the fatherhood of God, he's also seeking to slice apart your understanding that you're God's beloved child. All throughout Scripture, you just keep finding this, especially New Testament, but it's even seen in the Old Testament, you just find this repeated metaphor of God as the perfect father the perfect parent, the one in whom there is nothing but, but lavish love for his beloved children. And, and please, we've got to recognize that love is not God always making you feel good about yourself. That's a 20th, 21st century perversion of love. Love does not mean I always make you feel good about you. Love means that, that God seeks our highest good and so that highest good is sometimes comes to us in the form of blessing, but at other times it comes in the form of chastisement. And so the beauty of it is this, whether we're being blessed in a moment or, or disciplined in a moment, it never changes the fatherhood of God over us. And so our confidence is not in what we're feeling or thinking or discerning or experiencing. We have to cut through the, 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 the brush. We have to move through the jungle of stuff that happens to us. And we have to keep coming back to this, this clearing of the woods and say, that's where I'm meeting my father there, and he's a good, good father. And listen, he told them to work. I don't know exactly what he wanted them to work on, but in the context where I'm preaching tonight, I'm going to tell you something. The more you commit to ongoing intimacy and depth in your relationship with Jesus, the more you are going to have to fight. You can be a casual Christian. You can think, I don't know what all this hype is about spiritual warfare and the devil. I don't ever experience any of that. That's because you're way back on the back lines. There ain't much of a fight going on there. All your sisters and brothers in front of you are taking the brunt of the battle. The casual Christian rarely hears the roar of war. It's because those that are on the front lines pressing in are acting as a buffer. Now, we thank God that folks like that are saved, but that's not God's will for you to just kind of hang out on the periphery. But you start pressing into it, that's where the greatest treasures are, but that's where the most fierce contest is too. And so some of you that are going through what you're going through in life, and and listen, I'm not going to pretend that you don't wrestle. I know I wrestle. I confess that regularly. But some of you are wrestling tonight. And what you're wrestling with is bigger than what I'm wrestling with tonight. 
But I'm going to tell you, whatever we're wrestling, it is dwarfed in the presence of the Almighty. God never says, uh, small, she's got a small problem, she's got a big problem, medium-sized problem. All of it's small to him. All of it is. He knows it's big to us sometimes, but none of it is big to him. Do uh, you ever pray this way? Like, you know, you're praying for healing for people, and somebody, you know, I've got, I've got a headache, I've had it for three hours, and you're like, come on, let's, let's just do this in the name of Jesus. Release. Blood vessels open up. Let that blood flow. And in, in the name of Jesus, we just command this pain to leave your head. And are you feeling better? Yeah, I'm feeling great. And the next person in line says, yeah, I've got bone marrow cancer. And you're like, okay. You know, you just got to, you, you know, you're just going to ratchet it up. You're going to be like, okay, we got to. It's not, it's not the intensity of your prayer. It's not how loud or how long. It's the object, it's the direction, it's the trajectory of your prayer. So when we're praying over sicknesses, over obstacles, or over giants, to us, they're small, medium, large, and extra large. But, but to God, it's, it's just, why don't you bring it all to me with the same confidence that I, I'm as concerned with a mosquito as I am with a charging elephant. I can handle them both. And friends, if we will press into that, and I'm going to tell you what pressure is released off of us, we don't have to work it up for God. I think he laughs sometimes when he sees us working it up. You know, when your kids or your grandkids, you know, little boys are about three or four, and they start, you know, they start being, they're going to flex their masculinity and everything. They're, they're going to, you know, they're going to show that they're the tough guy and everything. You just look at him. I mean, I remember Landon being so little when he thought he could, you know, he's, he's going to, He's going to put dad on the carpet. And he's, he's all of four years old. He's going to come at me with his 25 pounds, and he's going to send me for it. He runs, and, you know, he hits me, and you just laugh. You just think it's funny. It's like, oh, you're so cute. You're not tough, but you're cute. Well, I think God looks at us sometimes like that when we're trying to approach life like that. We're, we're getting all worked up. And ultimately, I think as we grow in faith, um, we grow in a calm confidence when we're, when we're ambushed. You look at Elijah on Mount Carmel, perfect scenario. All the prophets of Baal are going through all this religious stupidity and shouting and cutting themselves and dancing for hours and hours. And Elijah is just kind of sitting on, I just picture him with a piece of straw in his mouth, just kind of laughing. He's like, hey, maybe your God's asleep. <laughs> Do you know what the Hebrew says in one of those verses? Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Did you know that? That Elijah, he's mocking these people's religion. And then they, they went for hours, they got nothing. Then Elijah just comes over and he just says, uh, Lord, show that you're God and let the fire fall. And boom! Why am I saying all of that? What I'm saying is this. Uh, friends, we ought to be sober stewards of the presence of God. Sober stewards of the presence of God. But you, you need to know that he wants you to experience his presence more than you want to experience it. He, he's not running away from you. But he is working in very defined ways and very defined areas. And if we are seeking him outside of those ways and areas, he's going to let us run out of our steam until finally, we, when we're seeking him with all of our heart, he says, that's when you're going to find me. And we do. And so as we get down to the end of the verses, God has clarified his expectation to them, and he's just saying, hey, listen, you be strong. 
I'll strengthen you when you choose to be strong. Hear that. That's a word tonight for some of you. When you choose to be strong, you'll be strong. Sometimes you just have to decide you're going to do it when you feel like there's nothing there. You just choose to be strong. You're actually able to master your emotions. And if you don't believe that, you've drifted. You are not a slave to your emotions. Your master is one, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are not a slave to your emotions. Your emotions can lie to you, and they often will. And so you have to take authority. You have to take ownership. And that is not a feeling. If you wait for the feeling to come, you'll be in this constant dog chasing its tail circle. You have to, sometimes you just have to declare it. I'm just going to go ahead and sound hyper-Pentecostal on you right now. Sometimes you just have to declare what you are. You have to decide that let God be true and every man a liar. And if God says this about you, then it's true. And you have to preach truth to yourself, even in the very moment where you're feeling saying, I don't know, I don't know. You have to tell yourself, I'm an overcomer. You have to tell yourself that I, by his stripes I am healed. You have to tell yourself that you are victorious in Jesus Christ. That you are, listen, that greater is the one that lives in you than the one that is in the world. Now that's either true or it's not. And since it's true, quit, quit living your life in fear of what the devil's next move is going to be. I mean, I tell you what, I just, Jesus help us get a vision of how terrified the enemy is of you. Help us live in that light. And so instead of us being afraid of him, let's just get close to Jesus because the devil's afraid of Jesus. Resist the devil. And the Bible says he will run away from you. I don't know if we believe that tonight. I, I just dare you to start thinking differently. I just dare you to do it. Say, well, Jeff, it just feels worked up and it feels fake. Now, let me tell you what's fake. Living in ongoing defeat when God is saying, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. That's fake. That's saying, yeah, but. No, 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 no. We don't need to edit what God has said. If he's with you, that means he's with you in a covenant. And he's going to bless you. And so as, I better finish because the clock's ticking. But I, I feel like, I, I literally feel like that there's, there's, there's like a, a weak wall, a tottering wall that if some of you will just give it a push of faith, it'll, get, it'll fall down. And on the other side of that wall is, what, is God's best for you in this season. And you're saying, oh, God, take down the wall, take down the wall. And I think he's saying to some of you, why don't you just, just use that last ounce of faith that you've got and push it and believe that I'll knock it down. And I keep, I'm just getting rooted in, I, I read the entire book of Joshua on Tuesday morning just because I needed to remember we're the conquerors. We conquer the land. And this is what I found out in the book of Joshua. They got everything God told them they would get, and they had to fight for all of it. They had to fight for every single bit of it. Come on, microwave generation. Boomers, y'all get in here with me for the Gen Xers and younger right here. Listen, my generation younger wants everything handed to them. It's a great place for you to say amen because it's true. Gimme, 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 gimme. My old friend Dwayne Anderson used to say, yeah, gimme just got shot. You know, gimme, the gimme generation 
And when that starts getting into our faith, Lord, I want all of the blessings. I want all the power. I want all the, the, the anointing. Lord, I, I want all of the results. I want all of the fruit. I want all of the reward. I want your glory, Lord, but please don't ask me to pray. Please don't ask me to sacrifice. Please don't ask me to believe you to topple walls and to slay giants. And Lord, please, if you don't mind, I want all of that stuff by tomorrow afternoon at 2. And God says, yeah, I'm actually going to wait until you really recognize how I work. And I'm going to call you to faith. And you're going to have to fight for it. And brothers and sisters, this is a generation, this is a season where we have some great things to fight for. It's a, it's a dark day in so many ways in our nation. It's, it, it, there, there's so much darkness. And you're either going to focus on the darkness or you're going to say, oh man, it is so stinking dark out here. I cannot wait to see when the light explodes. I cannot wait to see what God's going to do in the midst of this inky black darkness. God is going to shine his light. And so we press into that. So verses 6 through 9, and I'll be done. So God points towards the future. He's still speaking through Haggai, and he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts. Just watch that phrase in these verses. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is what I love about how God works. This is beautiful. We've read nine verses tonight. He, he took them to their past. He spoke to them about their present, and then he encouraged them towards their future. So in nine verses, God says, I'm going to spend a moment on your history, and then I'm going to get your attention right now here in the moment, because I'm really supremely interested in you being a part of what I'm going to do in your future. And if we don't, if we don't listen, some people will live in their past, and God's not doing anything there. He's literally no longer, never again going to do anything in yesterday and backwards. Never. It's done. We can't recapture it, we can't reframe it, we can't relive it, we can learn from it. But if you're living there, if, you're, if your mental or spiritual trajectory is anchored in, in the past, you're defeated. And so he, he enters into our present and he says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. My spirit remains in the midst of you. You've got to work, you've got to move, you've got to be strong because I'm with you. And so he gets our attention and then when he gets our attention, he immediately says, now let me tell you what I'm going to do. And that's what builds hope. Hope is uncovered and experienced when you start seeing that you have a future. When you start seeing that God is not done yet. When you start seeing that all things leading up to this moment springboard us into the next things that God is doing. So this is what he says here. He tells them, I'm about to shake things up. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And then he says, I'm going to shake every nation. Why is that important? Because Israel was living visibly in an absence of the glory promised to them. They still were living somewhat in the rubble of their failures and their defeats. And so what God says is, that was yesterday. I'm with you today. I'm going to make you a promise. I want me and you to do tomorrow together, Israel. And what I'm going to do is all of these nations, you got to think, they had been in captivity, some of them their whole lives. 
And all they had known was the Babylonian way of life or the Persian way of life, the pagan way of life. And now they're back in the land and God says, all of the nations that have come against the apple of my eye, Israel, I am going to bring them down. There's coming a time where I'm going to shake the nations. By the way, that's still going to happen. Uh, I'm not even going to go there because I know right now there's a big political tug of war over um, the Middle East and the land and the Palestinians and the Jews. I just want to say, um, believe your Bible. Believe your Bible. It's really not that difficult. It's just not. So the Lord of hosts, he keeps using that phrase. That's a title that just indicates his sovereign rule and authority, especially over the armies of heaven. And he just keeps saying, and I don't mean to diminish in any way the sacredness of what he's saying, but in our vernacular, let me, let me paraphrase it. God's saying, I'm the boss of everything. I rule everything. I'm greater than everything. I'm the strongest. I'm the biggest. I'm the greatest. I never wring my hands. My knees never shake. I never know, don't know what to do. I'm God. I am the Lord of hosts. And let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake the nations. And then he says this. And this temple that you're also discouraged about, the temple of the Jews, the temple of God in Israel, he says, there's coming a day where I'm going to fill this with my glory. And about 550 years after that proclamation, a 30-year-old rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth walks into the temple, and in that temple are all sorts of ungodly practices going on. And he takes a, a rope, and he takes a whip, and he scatters them out, and he raises us up in, in the power and the authority of the same Yahweh God that was talking to Haggai. And he says, this is my father's house. And the glory of Jesus Christ was the greatest glory that had ever been in that temple but it's even going to get further fulfilled. That there's coming a day where Israel's temple will once again inhabit the glory of God and Jesus Christ will return from heaven and establish his rule on this earth and his glory will be undeniable and all of the nations will come and bring tribute. It's right here in Haggai 2. All of the nations will come and bring tribute to Jesus Christ the Lord as he sovereignly rules in the kingdom age, friends. That is what the Lord says. And so what the Lord is saying to Israel then and to us now, don't get entrenched in the mire of the moment. I am not done yet. He's not done yet. He's not done with planet Earth. He's not done with his mission. He's not done with fulfilling his promises. You're not at the beginning in the anymore, my friend. You're not there anymore. You're not at the beginning. You're not at the end yet. You're in the middle. And the middle is where you need faith. And if you have faith today and you walk in it tomorrow, as you embrace what God is doing between now and the time that he wraps things up, you're going to experience his best. He's going to shake the nations. He's going to shake the world. The glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth. Just, just embrace that. The glory of your Lord is going to fill the earth. Nobody's going to ask, where is he in that day? They will all know where he is. Every eye will behold him. Every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess. And even beyond that judicial aspect of it, there is on the back end of it, in this great mystery that I, I can't begin to unpack, there is coming a reality where all sin will be removed from existence and man will walk with God in that same unbroken, undiluted oneness that Adam shared with God in the Garden of Eden. Jesus isn't done yet. So brothers and sisters, take heart tonight. He's with you. His spirit remains in your midst. He is not indifferent to where you are, but he's going to meet you there. And if you will trust him and push on that wall a little bit that is separating you from his best. You say, Jeff, I don't know what it is. I promise you he'll show you. I promise you. It just may be unbelief. It might just be doubt. It could be fear. It could be a hundred things. But I'm going to tell you, it's his delight to show you what it is and then to teach you how to push on it. And when you push, it'll be like the walls of Jericho. They didn't even have to push. They just had to praise. And that thing came down. Father, in the name of your son who's encouraged us tonight, You've strengthened our faith. You've helped us tonight. We will be strong. We will believe. We look towards the future. You cannot fail us. You've never failed. Bring our minds and hearts into alignment with who you really are and what you're doing. Thank you for being compassionate when we need it, and thank you for being direct when we need it. Jesus, we long for the day when you're going to shake the nations. We long for the day where you will receive the glory that is due your holy name. And until then, Lord, help us to walk in faith. Lord, we expect great things of a great God. And to do less than that would be our sin. We expect you to be as great as you are. Help us experience it. In Jesus' name, amen.